You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Good evening, everyone. Happy Tuesday. And thank you for joining me for tonight's conversation. I am super excited to talk to you tonight about some of the challenges and solutions to Christian parenting in a post-truth culture. And I'm going to kick things off here in just a minute uh, and then bring my friend and pastor, uh, Jeremy Bannister, to help us with this discussion. When we think about the current reality that we are in right now, I want to just start off by giving a little snapshot of our current reality and where we find ourselves as Christian parents. What are some of the challenges that we are facing? Well, the first thing we have to understand is that millennials, the millennial generation are now the parents. And these are people born from 1981 through 1996. And these are the people who are now parenting the emerging generations. Now, millennials who call themselves Christians based on the latest data is about 60%. So in other words, around 60% of people in the millennial generation, if you ask them, you know, what religion do you identify with? They would say that they, they are Christians. But when you dig a little deeper, a different picture emerges. And that is when you start to probe uh, the, the, the parameters of their worldview. Millennials with a biblical worldview, depending on the study, uh, you're at somewhere at around two to 4% of millennials have a biblical worldview. Now, I know you might be wondering, well, how are they defining the term biblical worldview? So here's the definition that is frequently used. This is from a Barna study back in 2003. And a biblical worldview, according to Barna, is believing that absolute moral truths exist, that such truth is defined in the Bible, that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, God is the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe, and that he still rules today. Salvation is a gift from God. It cannot be earned. Satan is real. A Christian has a responsibility to share their faith with others. And the Bible is accurate in all of its teachings. So this is, again, just a baseline definition of what we're meaning when we call something a biblical worldview. Now, when we talk about the emerging generations, and I am using that in a plural way, you may have heard of Gen Z, and these are the children like my kids' age. They were born in 1997 through 2010. This is the generation of 9-11, the invention of the internet, and the rise of cell phone technology. And then there is Generation Alpha, which are younger children, which is um, those children born in 2010 forward. So these are the, the emerging generation. Now, when we think about what these kids are, what influences are, are impacting them, just a couple of statistics to think about is that the average school child spends about seven hours per day in school. And if you do the math, it's about a little over 18,000 hours that they spend from kindergarten through 12th grade in school. So that is going to be a major influence in the child's life. And that worked okay when there was sort of broader agreement in the wider culture with the Judeo-Christian worldview. The culture was there to sort of reinforce some of the general parameters of our worldview as it pertains to notions of equality and kindness and um, achievement and bettering oneself and that kind of a thing. Now, another important factor that is impacting and influencing the lives of many young people is screen use. Uh, the average child, depending on the age and 
their parents, and again, I'm going for averages, younger children is in the two to four hours a day, older children is in the six, sometimes up to 10 hours a day. So I just kind of combined all of those numbers. I think two is a very low number, but um, for a very, very young children, that seems to be kind of a bottom threshold. So if we combine the day, let's say the child is at school six hours or seven hours a day, maybe they're online after they come home, somewhere around four hours a day. I think that's pretty conservative. And by screen time, I'm talking about social media use, being on YouTube. Not many of them watch traditional television anymore. But um, looking at those, you know, waking hours, that's roughly about 11 waking hours plus getting ready time, going to school and that sort of thing. The vast majority of their day is receiving input from sources that are probably not their parents, unless you're homeschooling and unless you're really regulating their screen use. But the average child, this is going to be the makeup of their day. And so when we think about the question of who is discipling your child, who is the major voices in your child's life. This is sort of how I look at it is Christian parents have to understand that if you are not actively participating in discipling your child, if you don't come at the situation with an intentionality and a plan, the world is waiting to catechize and disciple your child. So there it's really understanding that it's an kind of an either or situation. And even sometimes it's, it's not, you know, the world can still come in. Even when we do have intentionality, there's no foolproof way of averting that. But if, if we just go to the idea of how many hours a day a child is receiving input from people that are most likely not their parents, that is the world's invitation to disciple your child. If, if you are not actively teaching your child how to think about the world, the world will teach your child how to think about things. And so we have to come at this issue, I think, from a very strategic mindset. Okay, so with that, I'm going to bring on my friend and pastor, Jeremy Bannister, so that we can begin to unpack some of these issues with more detail. Hey, Jeremy. Hello, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. I'm doing great. Good. I'm excited to introduce you to people and to, uh, we're going to talk a little bit tonight also about the upcoming Discipleship Begins at Home conference that you and I are participating in. But maybe tell us a little bit, uh, introduce yourself to our viewers and tell us you know, what you're up to and how you got interested in the topic of family discipleship. Well, I'll be happy to. Um, well, yeah, I'm, my name is Jeremy Bannister. I am a pastor in Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, of a small church, Heights Christian Church. Been here 20 years now, and um, I've just always had a burdening, ever since I came to Christ, my heart has been burdened for young people. Uh, the small church in which I got my calling for Jesus in a small Southern Baptist church in Georgia, in Hartwell, Georgia, had about 40 people in it. And 30 of those 40 people were 70, 60 or 70 and older. And my heart was really burdened because of those uh, families who were there, there was only a small handful of people my age or younger uh, who were ready to to see that faith move on. And as I'm looking at the church, I'm like, this is the future of the church. That's not, that's not going to be a, a very great future for the next generation, especially since we only had one high schooler and one mid hire. And so God used that burden to move me to into ministry. I, I didn't feel qualified. So I went to college at, at a local Bible college there, really good college, uh, graduated in three years and God called us out into New Mexico. It's too long a story to, to mention here, but it's amazing just the same how we got out here. And after getting out here, you know, th that burden would just continue to grow as I wanted to see the next generation uh, grow up into that. But 
as I was in ministry and have been in ministry for a long period of time, you know, I've got a degree that says that I'm qualified and, and discipled and ready to teach uh, young people the truth about Jesus Christ. And, and I found myself, I would say, a dozen years in or so uh, in ministry, looking back and saying, well, what's happening to the kids who are graduating? Uh, and I'm, I was seeing kind of the same uh, patterns that we see falling off. And so my heart was really, really burdened for the idea of, of trying to connect with youth in a very meaningful way. And, and I just found that as a pastor, I was having a, a hard time doing that. And so now I you really told me to, uh, just to yes. kind of jump in here. Now, sure. you told me that in the beginning, you were kind of doing the usual youth pastory things with oh, your yeah. students. You were you were going to the youth pastor conferences. You were, you know, like, tell us about the environment that you were creating for the youth at your church. Oh, I, you know. To the T of what my degree says I should have been doing is exactly what I was creating within, within uh, the ministry at Heights. And th as, as we continue to work toward it, if I just look from a pure numerical standpoint, I was doing fine. I, I, nothing would tell me that I'm not doing well based upon the numbers that I was pulling into youth ministry. And so was just, it a lot of activities and absolutely well not just a lot of activities it was a lot of activities it was a lot of outreach uh, a lot of going to schools trying to get connected with with students trying to reach out to them and have them invite their friends into an environment where they could we could introduce their friends to Christ and and hopefully see a deepening relationship you know my desire isn't unlike most youth pastors who go into ministry, they, they have that desire for youth to want to see them built up. But my, my heart was really hurting because uh, the statistics that you're, you're citing right there with the 2% worldview, the, uh, the falling away, that type of thing hits you, uh, I think, more as a pastor when you're practicing, when it's not just a number, but it's actually faces and people that you know. So and, the typical numbers now are like, you know, somewhere between 55 to 70% of young people stop attending church, you know, somewhere between later high school, early, early college age, they, they just stop engaging with their church mm -hmm. community. Is that what you found um, when you were, when you were pastoring at that time? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I could go back and look at, you know, pictures of all the youth groups that that would be uh, that had been part of uh, not just my youth group that I had been a part of for a long period of time, but even before then. And then asking questions like, are these people still involved? And you would hear that, no, most of these people that were in this youth group or this youth group or this youth group. And you take a picture of whatever youth group it was, were no longer active in their faith. As far as they weren't attending a church, some of them had denied the faith altogether. Many of them, they just didn't know where they were at all because they, they knew they had fallen off the map. And so you were doing the, all the right youth pastoring mm -hmm. things, yeah. all the things that the conferences were telling you. And yet you had these high attrition rates, even though you had personal connections, I imagine with them oh, yeah. because of a smaller church. Now, did you try to, one of the compensations that I've seen to try to combat that is, well, what you really need to do is teach your youth more apologetics that will fix this problem. Um, is, did you try that approach? Well, I, I've always, I've always had apologetics as part of the uh, overall teaching of things that I do, because I've always had a very high regard for apologetics However, and I know, I know me and you have talked about this, you know, offline, I, apologetics ends up sounding just like another great teaching without a foundation. The real foundation and, and what I would call maybe the first apologetic is just knowledge of the word of God. And, and what I found consistently across the board is that there is just not a knowledge, not a real working knowledge of the word of God among this generation. 
They, they know certain stories. I mean, the most committed ones know certain stories. But when you ask for a robust understanding of not just, you know, the, the way of salvation and the, the typical Barna thing that you talked about right there, uh, Hebrews chapter five and chapter six talks about, you know, these elementary teachings. And it covers many of the th- same things that Barna talks about in, in his trying to establish a Christian worldview. Uh, but these things are considered elementary teachings. And the writer of Hebrews is actually chastising the people that he's talking to, the Hebrews who are there, saying, by this time, you ought to be teachers, but you have to be taught the elementary truths of God all over again. You need milk and you don't need food. And when I look at the generation that has come up through the church right now, that's kind of what what I've seen is that even as they were coming through the youth program and, and they knew all of the they knew the right words and they knew the basic gospel story and they did not. And they knew some apologetics that would establish the word of God or even combat certain teachings that were happening at the time. What really hurts is their lack of knowledge, lack of robust knowledge of the word of God, because apologetics only works so well concerning the subjects you cover. And as you know, culture changes. I mean, Think about what uh, I've been in ministry now 20 years, 20 years ago, the very things we're dealing with today, we would never thought about 20 years ago. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think that's, I think that's a point that most people aren't aware of. Like 20 years ago, the main question that I was dealing with in apologetics in working as a professional apologist, Mm -hmm. apologist for the last 22 and a half years, the big thing was, does God exist? Let's have the five classical arguments for the existence of God and da, 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 da. Now the main question is some version of, is God good? That is an entirely different question. And so now we find ourselves not trying to establish evidence that God exists and what follows from all of that. Now we're trying to establish that, well, if this God exists, is he even worth worshiping? Is he good? You know, look at slavery and evil done in his name and pain and suffering and Christians who abuse children and, and all of this kind of thing. This is an entirely different set of apologetics questions. And right. I don't think a lot of people understand that. But I think that what's interesting to me, because you told me once when we, we had our first conversation is you said what you noticed in your youth kids was that even after you would teach them apologetics, they were still kind of borrowing from your faith collateral to a degree. And I think that is another extremely important point for other youth pastors to understand and other youth workers is that even when you teach them the right things, if they don't have that knowledge of scripture underneath it, Mm-hmm. They are really, to some degree, kind of tacking on to your faith. And exactly. that might not be enough to sustain them when they transition into adulthood. Well, and, and I did this very early on in my uh, ministry. And so one of the things that I did as I established, because when I came in, you know, after about, I don't know, six months, a year, somewhere along those lines, one of the things that, that disturbed me concerning our ministry at the time was that when we would go to teaching time, whatever it was in our youth ministry, um, the students were very content to allow me to break the word of God, to share the word of God with them. They weren't even opening Bibles. They were just sitting there and listening, shaking their head yes to everything that, that I had said. And so one of the things that I did, because I was very disturbed by this, uh, one of the things I did very early on in the ministry, and I did it with, I went to our leadership and I told them, I've got a lesson that I need to teach the youth. And it's very important that I teach them this, this lesson, but I need to let you know, so you don't get word that, Hey, somebody was teaching that. So I actually had one of the elders in the church with us, uh, with the youth ministry at this time so that they would, they understood exactly how I handled it. Um, and so what I did at youth group is I taught a heresy. Uh, And I taught it specifically on modalism and, you know, trying to talk about how God shows himself in different forms. And sometimes he's a father, sometimes he's a son, sometimes he's a Holy Spirit, 
to your listeners, this is a heresy. This is not real. Don't, don't, don't buy into this. Don't do that. But, <laughs> but I took the time to twist the scriptures. I hated it. I didn't like doing it, but at the same time, I didn't know any other more effective way to get this point across. And, and I shared with them a very false teaching. And then we went to a small group time and sat with them. And, and there's a, just a group of them because it was a small group at the time. And, and I, I got through a whole questionnaire of, did this help? How was this? Oh yeah, this is great. I understand it so much better now. And so we get to the very last question. I said, I have one more question to ask you. And it's probably going to start a whole nother conversation. I said, um, did you know that everything I taught you tonight was a lie? And you could have heard a pin drop in the room for about 15, 20 seconds. You had mouths agape and, and uh, youth. And some of them, after that you know, initial silence, got really mad. Why would you do something like that? And I asked him just a simple question while holding a Bible in my hand. I said, how far could I have taken you? How far could I have taken you? What could I have done and taking you to do? It is your job. And then I had them turn to 1 John chapter 4, where it talks about tests of spirits to make sure that they're of God. Um, and, and really talk to them that they are supposed to be evaluating the things that I say in the light of the word of God. That's what they're supposed to be doing. But many, we're just passive. We, we, get, we get complacent. We get good teachers and, and we like to hear certain things. And so once they've established that trust, that person, rather than the word of God, becomes our authority when we're supposed to be testing all things through the word of God, like our conversation tonight. You know, Crystal, when, when you're doing a teaching online and when I'm preaching in front of our congregation, tell them the same thing. Look, you're supposed to be able to say the amen to what I'm saying, not just because I'm saying it or not just the way in which I'm saying it, but because it agrees with what the word of God says. That's so, so good. Yeah. To understand that. Yeah, that's so good. And I used to do that same exercise with my college students. Um, and I would have a friend come in and and um, start teaching uh, Trinitarian heresy. And I would wait. And these were adult learners. These were not mm -hmm. high school learners. These were adult learners. And um, I would see how long it would take them until before they would start to detect what the error was. And, hey, you know, hey, wait a minute. And um, usually it took about an hour before they start catching on. And my friend would um, basically start teaching Jehovah's Witness type view mm -hmm. of, of the Trinity. And he, he would debate with these people online all the time. So he really knew their arguments in a slicked way. And then one night when I had him come to my class, he got caught because there was a former Jehovah's Witness in my class. Boy, she was on to it within three minutes. She was like, hey, wait a minute. But it goes to your point because she knew the scripture and because yeah. she had come out of that error and she really had to search the scriptures, she could go toe to toe with him. And he, he told me later, he's like, man, I, I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> he was like, she knew the scriptures even better than me on some of these things. But but. I think that's a good segue to your approach now and what you have transitioned your church into. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe just give us a little snapshot of how these years of laboring and ministry and seeing so many of your youth deconstruct, how that shifted your, your approach and your strategy in your church. Well, one of the things that, I, one of the things that, really challenged me and really uh, moved me into a different direction was just the lack of time that I had with students. Even with my leading students, I would only spend, you know, you quoted off all the statistics earlier about how much time they spend in school and how much time they spend on their screens. Well, on, on, the, on my most faithful students, I might have four hours a week with them. I would have less time than their math teacher would in a week. And most students who don't fall in that leadership category where I had extra teaching time, I'd only spend maybe two hours a week with them. And, and this idea of having, a robust, having an opportunity to teach a robust faith during that time 
it just, it just wasn't panning out in reality. And recognizing the limitations of that and, and really discovering what those limitations were uh, moved me to this idea that we need to re-empower parents within the church to be able to be the disciplers of their kids. There, there's, a, there's a common mantra about, you know, if you go to children's pastors, if you go to youth pastors, I think if you talk to them, if you lock them in a room and said, hey, what would be the ideal? Everybody would say, what we want to do is we want to empower, we want to see parents discipling their kids. But the problem with that is they have no way of empowering them. If you ask them how they were going to help the parents to do that, when the parents themselves have no idea, nobody's really got a plan. And I didn't have a plan. And that's part of the movement, recognizing that that flaw in my philosophy of ministry that moved me toward more of a family ministry model, trying to fill in a gap that that I I hadn't really recognized until I started seeing all these former youth dropping off the map and just wanting to say, how do we do this in such a way where they're not dropping off the map? And, and I don't think that the answer is more programs. And I don't think the answer is more training as far as the church is concerned toward the youth themselves. I think it really comes toward saying, let's give that power back to the parents because an unintended consequence of our church, uh, American church culture is parents are largely left outside of the discipleship realm of their own kids unless they themselves take up that calling self-motivatingly, right? right? Um, not, not to say that they don't hear it from the pulpit. I know they do. And not to say that, that others don't wish that other parents would do that. I know that many pastors lament and say, I wish that that would happen. I, I think parents would like to be able to do that. But I, I think that they, they lack an ability to, to know what they're supposed to do next. And um, knowing that we're just trying to build in those blind spots and, and help these parents in a way that is meaningful and helps them to have a real plan of discipleship for their kids. That's what I'm doing here at Heights anyway. Yeah, I think that's really important because I, I think you're right that an inadvertent fruit of American mm-hmm. youth ministry, and can we just have an honest conversation that the idea of youth ministry wasn't even a thing until after World War II. And right. the the idea of of what we call modern youth ministry, like there's no Bible verse for that. There's no, you know, if anything, the warrant and the responsibility for di- discipleship is on the parents. That's where the right. Lord puts that discipleship responsibility. But in the American model, we have, I think, you know, well-intentioned, but, you know, like, let's just stand back and look at five decades of fruit and where are we at? And, and I have been asking this question for years on social media of where are the long-term studies that the type of apologetics that we're doing is actually making a difference for reducing these attrition rates? Right. I, I mean, if, if, if we, and, and to your point, if that were the answer to it, then what we wouldn't see, because one thing we can track is biblical worldview. So biblical worldview has consistently gone down. It's shrinking. Least, yeah, it's, if you go back to the shrink. numbers in the 90s, like today, it's it's much lower. So at some point, can we at least ask the question, this isn't working? Right, right. And, 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 the, and the reason being is because apologetics ends up being, and, and you hate to say it this way, but it's true, apologetics, if you don't have a strong biblical foundation, is just subject-oriented teaching without a foundation. Ooh. And, and that, that is not a recipe for building disciples. Because you know? then it also another problem is that there's this, this idea, this problem of competing voices because you have the apologists out there, but a student can just go YouTube or Google something and get a competing voice. Oh, yeah. so, so how do they sift out well, which voice of authority do I look at? And, right. you know, and, and I think that, that online influencers have become very powerful voices in many young people's lives and almost more powerful at times than parents or pastors. 
Whereas when I was a teenager, I might have gone to my youth pastor with a question. Now, if I'm a a 15-year-old with a a question about gender issues, I can just go look on YouTube and look at an influencer who has a million followers. Well, that might not be the best way to be discipled. But, you know, that's, that's the world in which we live. And so apologetics, as it has traditionally been done, just becomes another competing voice. Right. You know, it's interesting you mentioned the whole idea of this change of authority, because that invention of the Internet, it, it, it's been it can be such a great tool. I know all of us use it, probably use it too much, honestly, um, because the way that we use the Internet is, is for these fast answers. Right. I want the instant answer. So if I don't know something, if I need to find out something, I click it in my Google pan and boom, right there. I know what it is. So if I don't know a definition of word, boom. And there's some really good things with that. I don't want to say the tool is bad in and of itself, but what it does is it is it usurps authority, rightful authority that God has established. I can tell you that as a pastor, since the invention of the internet, and even more so with the invention of social media, we started seeing a drop-off. I would say somewhere around 2014, 2000. 13, 14, somewhere around there, there's a, a, a measurable drop off in people coming to me as a pastor um, to a- ask questions. They, they just don't ask those questions because I can Google it. And the problem with Googling it is number one, the person on the other end is impersonal. They don't know you uh, if you're doing a, a YouTube video per se. Uh, Or if you're reading an article, you're you're not vetting that article to know what worldview that the article is coming from. There's nothing that that tells them whether or not that person is really sees the word of God as authoritative. And a lot of the algorithms, when we're looking at YouTube, when we're looking at Google, one of the things that that the algorithms do is they put progressive and liberal information First, especially to those who don't have a history. So if you're just typing something in and you're trying to get a, 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 uh, an answer for a specific question that might be a hot topic issue, if you look on how things are kind of slanted toward that liberal and progressive side of things, we're getting a whole generation that's very, getting very adapted hearing that viewpoint and not necessarily the biblical viewpoint. Because they're, they're circumventing the authority of scripture to go to uh, a YouTuber or somebody who's a popular teacher or this website that, that talks about this. And it's like they, they want the quick answer. Um, one of the things that, that I think helped me and maybe why I have a different perspective on this is, number one, we didn't have the Internet when I became a Christian. I became a Christian around 19 or 20 years old. And I didn't even know about this thing called a concordance. And um, one of the things that I uh, was very bad at doing and probably still am bad at doing is I don't take great notes. Um, Like we go someplace, I can remember a lot of things, but I don't take necessarily the greatest of notes. And so I would come home as as a new believer in Christ, hearing a verse of scripture of something I didn't write down, and I would scour the scriptures until I found that quote, which we, which was an education in and of itself. I must have read the New Testament. I'm not joking. And it's not an exaggeration. 40 times uh, as a new believer in Christ, just searching out scripture quotes that were mentioned during the sermon that I just wanted to remember, but I didn't write them down like a, you know, like a knucklehead. So, um, but now a young some- person could just take that shortcut of, well, I'll just Google it. I, yeah, and I then they're they're Googled not getting it. the whole context. They're not, you know, seeing the whole thing there. But they are hearing maybe some Christian celebrities um, talk about things. And then what happens when those celebrities start to deconstruct? I mean, that is it's another oh, set of problems that it it can be very confusing for for young absolutely. people. So all right, we're going to go out to the chat here. We got some comments coming in. I'm going to go to Facebook first. Um, my brothers and I grew up as pastor's kids. My youngest brother has decided he's an agnostic. That's fairly recent. He's about to turn 30. Yeah, that's that's really a hard situation, Rachel. And, um, you know, I think that he's, that's unfortunately becoming increasingly common. 
uh, and uh, for that for that age. So, yeah, thank you, Laura. We're going to talk about the discipleship conference here in in just a minute. So, here I'm going to go out to YouTube. Um, it's one thing to just repeat what another person says, but if their minds and hearts aren't grounding themselves in Scripture, then they aren't genuinely growing in their faith. That's a great point. Um, growing up, I was taught many things by my father. And even though most of what he taught me was certainly biblical, he still never made sure to tell me to simply take his word for it. That's great, Rachel. He was Your dad was really teaching you some critical thinking skills. That's awesome. So, um, oh, I love Anna's comment. Yes, parents, let's take up the calling of discipling our own kids. So uh, maybe that's a good segue, Jeremy, for uh, us to talk about the upcoming Discipleship Begins at Home conference. And what we're doing here tonight is just kind of wetting people's appetite mm-hmm. for for the bigger picture. We're going to move into some solutions here in the second part of the stream and give you kind of um, some teasers for what's to come. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the conference that you and I are speaking at um, Monique will be speaking at it. Our friend Elizabeth Urbanovitz will be speaking and our friend Ryan Pauly is going to be there. So let's, let's talk about that. What is the vision behind this discipleship begins at home conference? Well, honestly, the, the discipleship begins at home conference. What, what we want this to be is something that really equips parents that those blind spots that I talked about that I had that I think most churches and most youth ministries have not wanting to have them. I don't think it's like I said, it's an, it's an unintended consequence of the culture that we have, but the only way to change the culture is to address and identify what those needs are and then empower the parents to become those disciplers of their kids. And so our hope and our prayer for this conference is that walking into this conference, we we help you see where we're at, how we got there, and challenge you to get to a place where we're taking that discipleship reins back into our own hands as parents. And then what we want to do is we want to give you the tools that you need as parents. When you walk out of this conference, it's not going to be like other conferences. I go to a lot of conferences and you you walk away challenged, you know, let's be men of God, let's be women of God. And those are good things. But I think that, you know, we say we want to be a man of God or a woman of God. Uh, Some of those things are fairly well defined. I think when it comes to being a parent and raising up children in the Lord, we haven't defined that well in the church. And in order to really empower you as parents, one of the things that we want to do is when you walk away, we're going to define that. And then we're going to give you the tools to be able to practically, and I mean that sincerely, practically do that. You won't have to go at home and say, well, what do I do next? I really want to start this. I really would like to disciple my kids. And it's a great idea, but what do I do? And so the heart and prayer on, on my on, in my heart for all of this is say, parents, when you walk away from this, you're going to have the tools to get you started and to walk you through with your kids all the way through growing up and, and know that as a parent, if you walk through this, you will be giving them a robust understanding of the Christian faith. That's not just focused on one thing, but focused on a number of different disciplines that we're going to be introducing in the conference that you're going to help your, your kids walk through at, at age appropriate levels. And so you're going to feel real good about your kids walking out of your place saying, I'm not just given them lots of good teaching. I've given them a foundation that even as culture changes, because they're going to have a biblical worldview. And more importantly, they're going to be grounded in Christ through the scriptures. They're going to recognize those wrong things that I'm not even thinking about because they haven't come up yet. So that's our prayer for the conference. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that you've really helped me appreciate is the importance of building that foundation on scripture. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, one time you said we were in a conversation and you said, you know, there's just a night and day difference between a middle schooler uh, who's actually read through the Bible and a middle schooler who hasn't like the level of conversations that you can have is just vastly different. And so a lot of what we want to do is give parents a plan it's, mm-hmm. it's a blueprint 
for next steps of here's what you can do. And after the conference, there's going to be an opportunity to sign up for a series of Zoom uh, coaching calls with Jeremy and I, where we're going to help you troubleshoot like, okay, now you're implementing the plan. What are you running into Uh, and helping to coach people to get past any hurdles that come up that will kind of get you going into a new rhythm with your family. So if you want to find out more details about the Discipleship Begins at Home conference, go over to our friends at womeninapologetics.com and you can click on events and find the, the conference and you can read all the descriptions and speakers and, and all of that kind of a thing there. So go check that out. Now, Jeremy, we, we've spent some time in the first half of this stream uh, doing kind of the, the symptoms <laughs> and the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we can't fight back against something, go to the doctor, really helps to have a name. Like, okay, here's, here's the name of the problem. Now let's maybe try to transition into a few practical ideas. What can parents begin to do to push back against all of these competing voices in in our kids lives i think the the biggest thing we have to do is that the word of god has to become preeminent in in our instruction to our kids it needs to be something that we're teaching them that we're walking them through we're helping them to understand we're actually reading it that's what you're talking about and and not just reading it we refer back to it in everything and, yeah. and, that, and that, that seems like it's a painstaking thing uh, to have to go back to do. But the, the problem is our intentionality isn't known by our kids that are, that are growing up. We could have stated it 30 times. And until you hear them say, yeah, mom, you know, I get it. It's about the word of God, you know, um, then I don't assume that my kids have got it. You know why? Because I'm a guy and I'm stupid. And so um, it takes uh, it takes kind of a direct action for me, for you to tell me to know that I've got it. Every single one of us can t- talk about how we've talked to our kids about cleaning their room or being responsible in some area. And how many times do we do that? A bazillion times for everything we think is important. And our kids still surprise us by not doing those things, right? And so at, at the same time, we have to be that type of intentional concerning the word of God. And it's got to be a dependence on the word of God. It, it's going back and, and even a, not, not criticizing, but evaluating your teachers in the light of the word of God. Talking to your, your kids about what you're reading in the word of God and how the pastor's sermon lined up with the word of God, or if one of his points was off or, or slightly off balance that you point that out as well. I mean, um, I think that's one of the things that we're, we're worried about doing. I think just as a practical thing that we've done in our family is when our kids were growing up, even when they were younger, like nearly every Sunday, we had a rhythm of going out to lunch together as a family. And after we had our food, we're sitting there, we would digest the sermon together and we would ask our kids like, well, what did you think of this point? Do you think that that's in the Bible? Do you think that the main, the, the passage that the, pa- the pastor chose that he actually um, preached that in a faithful way? And, and we would challenge them to, to think, <laughs> you know, we would challenge them to think about, well, yeah, I read the, I read the passage that the, pastor was preaching, but it didn't seem like the sermon really came from that. Or, yeah, I really liked this point. And that was just a a very practical thing that we created in our home, uh, a pattern of we're all going to be Bereans, even if you're nine, you you know, and we're going to talk about scripture. And I was always amazed sometimes at insights my kids would have that they were able to detect like, you know, something's off here. They might not be able to completely articulate it, but creating an environment where we are training them in how to think through a sermon is, mm-hmm. is, is a vital skill as, as a Christian. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we talk all the time about the sufficiency of scripture, 
but we don't really practice it. If you think about it, mm. we, we, we do everything else, but the scriptures, like we'll read the popular books and listen to the popular teachers who are telling us what the word of God says. But if scripture is sufficient for us to know, to know how to be a godly man or woman in Christ, and it's sufficient for us for everything that we need for, for correction and for growing and encouragement so that the man of God might be complete uh, in, in all the works that God's calling to is a terrible paraphrase of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Um, but the, the idea behind it is that with us knowing the word of God, we may not necessarily know what we're going to be confronted with, but we're going to be equipped in a way that all these other books about the word of God and not the word of God itself uh, isn't going to necessarily give us. And so as, as Christian parents, we have to restore that authority of Christ and his word is essential. And there's no shortcut. It's only, it's like me reading through the Bible, you know, uh, and reading through the new Testament or old Testament, however many times I did to find that scripture quote, because I didn't have Google at the time and I didn't know about concordances at the time. So I'm just reading and reading and reading, but you know what I got from it? I got a love for the word of God and I got an education. I could have never got by shortcutting things. I think it, I, yeah. I think it's important to, to, to think about maybe even what we inadvertently are teaching our kids. Like, I want to go back to your point about, you know, we are more likely to maybe read a book about the Bible or watch a sermon online or listen to a podcast. And not that there's anything wrong with that per se, like those things can be helpful and informative, but we also have the reality that millennials are the parents now. And two to 4% of the parents have a biblical worldview. And so I think the place to start, even for us as parents, is by reading the Bible and, and not reading maybe so many books about the Bible, but reading the Bible itself as a grounding tool and doing that, you know, to familiarize ourselves because we have to understand that maybe we have holes in, in our own knowledge of things, but we don't want to fall into the trap. Cause I see this online because I belong to various Christian parent groups and stuff. One of the number one things that I see two very common questions. One is posting a link to a video or a, a book or a podcast where somebody says, what does everyone think about this? is this sound? And then, and then the, the number two question is, is can you recommend a book that I can read, you know, that I can give to my child? And I'm like, both of these strategies are so problematic to me because if, if you have to post something in a group and get everybody to weigh in on it before you can have discernment about it yourself, like, then to me, that tells me maybe you need to step back and do some things to educate yourself first and develop some discernment. And number two, well, and I think, yeah. And just, just like, don't, don't just hand your kid a book, read the Bible with your kid. I don't know. Those are kind of two things I've noticed. Well, it goes back to the authority issue that we talked about a little bit earlier, how, how the internet is, has usurped authority, but it didn't start with the internet. It really started in the church as, as pastors inadvertently usurp the authority of parents in the discipleship of their kids. So by creating children's ministers and youth ministers that take care of the kids in place of mom and dad, um, we, we created a culture that parents who then hear the, the thing that you need to be discipling your kids are like, okay, well, now I need to disciple kids. And, and what's, I think, kind of sad to me and, and again, one of those blind spot areas, and, and what's sad to me concerning that is that the first choice of many uh, parents isn't to go to their youth pastor or their children's pastor, who's supposed to be an authority to help them in discipling their kids. It's to ask online questions to groups that have been created, and you hope those groups are faithful. And I, and I think we want those groups to be faithful. There's a place of... of uh, there needs to be gatekeepers, you know, uh, of the faith. There needs to be trusted people that you can do that. And the problem is that 
as we, we begin to see, and I know, Krista, you've talked about this a lot, as we begin to see false teaching infiltrating in even faithful places, it makes it harder and harder for parents to discern where's a good place where I can go to get good information where I'm not going to be led astray or my kids are going to be led astray. So I have great sympathy for parents who are asking online because they're like, I just, I want some place to go and I want to be able to entrust that with somebody who will answer me in a meaningful manner. And unfortunately, you know, I, I would say that many pastors or youth pastors, while they would say they want to be available for something like that, I don't know that they are available. And I think they, if parents ask that question to them and said, hey, I'm looking for a, a book on this, some of those pastors and youth pastors might not even know where to go with that. And um, that's, that's just a these are hard questions that are, that are coming to the surface because of these paradigms we've set up within the church, where it would be nice to be able to say, I can go to my pastor because he's, he's a repository of information, and I know he's found himself trustworthy concerning the word of God. I don't know that a lot of parents feel like that they can approach their pastor or even know their pastor all that well outside of dropping their kids off at youth group or a church, depending upon the size of your church. All right, let's go out to a few more comments here. Um, Bob's going to put some up here. Uh, would you recommend having kids attend church services with their parents as opposed to attending kids programming or youth programming? That's a great question. What are your thoughts about that, Jeremy? My thoughts concerning that would be um, it depends on how active you're going to be as a parent in following up. Um, we've done both with our kids growing up. We had them in the children's programs. Uh, our, our children's programs are pretty large because we have a small church. And so I have a, you know, nursery to three-year-old, a three to five-year-old and kindergarten to fifth grade. And so uh, during the service, they would leave. And we found with all of our kids, by the time they got into fifth grade, they really needed to come back into the service by then. Um, but we would quiz them and we would talk with them. I think it also comes down to expectations. What are you expecting your kids to learn when they go to children's church and whatnot? Um, if your expectation level is high and you're thinking that they're going to have their discipleship opportunities there happen at church, I, I'm going to be just, I'll tell you more during the conference, but there's a rude awakening. It ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen in any program. I don't care if it's, uh, a children's program or a youth ministry program, your kids by attending these programs are not necessarily through those programs themselves going to be mature. And so I would say whatever helps you to be more active in their life uh, is what I would encourage you to do. That's, if, good. That's good. Yeah. So. All right. Let's go back out there. We got some more comments coming in. Um, Kristen says, it is hard to decide if my question is worth bothering my pastor uh, since I can research it myself. We are a smallish church, but he is still so busy. I can 100% relate. I'm in a smallish <laughs> church too, and I'm one of two pastors online, and I am very, very busy. Um, and I think that there has to be a prioritization of what is a pastor supposed to do. And I think a pastor is called to equip the saints for their works of service. And as parents, your work of service is raising up your kids in Christ. If I have a parent coming to me and asking a question, they're going to be on my priority list. They just are. I'm going to be able to, to say, I'm going to spend the time with you to, to help you with your question to the best of my ability, uh, no matter what that is. And it's where you have that relationship, too. I mean, hopefully. I mean, you talk about your pastor being so busy, but if you go, you're not going to have any relationship with an online pastor. So if you're going to choose between a pastor you have a small relationship with, I don't know how much you, you're in a small church, so I'm, I'm assuming that that pastor probably knows your, you and your family fairly well, or there's somebody on staff who knows you guys fairly well, I'd much rather get somebody if you trust him and trust his authority uh, and how he treats the word of God and the counsel that he gives, it'd be much better to go to him, even if he's busy. I will tell you as a pastor, I'd much rather have a, uh, I'd rather have my day interrupted, okay, uh, by a 
family who comes in and says, I need help with this discipleship issue, then trying to find out on their own online and maybe not getting the best resource or maybe even a false resource that might lead you astray. I think that it's helpful, Jeremy, and also thinking about solutions to think about, you know, the shift in mindset that we're going to have to have, that there might have to be a shift in mindset that I, as a parent, am responsible for my child's discipleship. And what the pastor, the youth pastor is offering is support. It's, it, it maybe is a supplement, but that I have to think about that this is my responsibility, just as I have talks with my kids about their careers. Mm-hmm. We have conversations about taking AP classes and getting good grades. They, they sense from me what the priorities are. They might even see priorities lived out on Sunday morning that we go, you know, I'm on travel ball team rather than going to church. Like all of these things all send messages to our kids about what we actually value and we might have to start as part of our solution is with a different mindset. We might have to, I don't know, maybe let go of some things or shift some things around. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about that. I think that, I think there's two huge paradigm shifts that have to take place. One has to take place inside the church and one has to take place inside the family, Uh, inside the church. The, the paradigm shift that has to take place is to say, where is discipleship supposed to come from for children and for youth? I think if we were very honest about trying to evaluate that, the programs and the things that we've created in the church tell the parents and tell the outsider that the church and the church programs are where you go for discipleship. And I think that that mindset within the church has to change that we sh- there should be an expectation that we want to see as pastors, parents being the one who are discipling their kids, even at the expense of our programs. So if Timmy is getting discipled at home, we should be happy that Timmy's discipled at home and do everything we can to create an environment that Timmy's parents have all the tools that they need because they're going to be able to spend way more time than I'm ever going to be able to spend with Timmy. But the other end of that equation is this. Parents have to treat the church as a training ground and not an entertainment center. Uh, I think the the idea, and I know I got pushed back uh, a long time ago by other pastors when when I was talking about homework for kids in the youth group so that they could grow in their faith in Jesus Christ. And like, well, if you give homework, they're not gonna wanna come back. And that's that's this mentality that if we actually challenge them to do something that's going to cause them uh, to grow in their faith, that somehow we're being legalistic. And uh, I've actually heard that term used, like we don't want to be legalistic about our faith. And I would ask every parent, you know, as you were talking about AD classes, are we legalistic about them learning math or history or anything else? We make them go to school. We say that these things are important and we push them to know more because they can know more so that they are effectively discipled in history and science and math. We need that same mindset by parents as it pertains to faith in Christ and as it pertains to the church being a training ground and not an entertainment center. Because if it's a training ground, well, then when when Billy comes up and he's in seventh grade and he says, I don't want to go to church anymore. You're like, this isn't about what you want. Would you have them do that when they, I don't want to go to school anymore. Of course not. We would say you're going to school because school is important for training you in the things that you need to know to be successful in a job and in a career at future in life. The same thing happens within the church. When we treat it as an optional activity, and not as an essential training ground. And I'm not talking about the youth or children's programs. I'm talking about the church, that we're part of the body of Christ. And the kids 
grab on to that because it's at every juncture, something else is more important. We're passing on the wrong message to them. And we need to grab onto something that, that changes that mindset. This is a training ground. We want you strong in the faith. Therefore, the church is essential. The word of God is essential. And studying these things is not optional. It's something we're going to do as a family. So my friend Jeremy, uh, who is a middle school Sunday school teacher at his church in Chicago, he's asking a great question. He's saying, you know, how uh, on YouTube, how can a church motivate parents to take a more active role in discipling their children? And uh, this is a good teaser for the conference, because I think that part of what you've done, Jeremy, is you've identified that two shifts have to happen. Mm-hmm. A shift inside the family and the mindset of the parents, but a shift from the church's perspective that pastors might have to flip their mindset of, hey, we're a helper, but parents, we're going to equip you to begin to do the job that God has given you. And so that there has to be that that journey together. Um, as as a pastoral team and as the families in the church in order to really, um, if we're going to take these numbers of, of attrition seriously, mm-hmm. we've got to stop just doing the same thing because this isn't working. And right. this is what I'm so grateful for Jeremy's partnership because he came along and he's like, this isn't working. We just need to admit this isn't working. And I'm like, Thank you. I just want somebody to admit this. And so developing a better and and different approach. And so that's really what the Discipleship Begins a Home Conference is about, is outlining that different approach that we are going to walk people through at the conference is how do we partner with parents and how do we flip the script at church um, to become less entertainment oriented and more focused on training. So this is going to be um, a a great time together. So again, it's coming up in just a couple of weeks. It's going to be a hundred percent virtual conference. So if you're a parent, um, if you want to organize a group for your church, you have your small group, get all the parents together. If you're a pastor, you can buy a church license. You can make this a big event You can even buy the recordings and kind of spread them out over time if you want and and create your own event. But this is going to be some strategic teachings, very practical um, how to's on on helping to equip uh, families to begin to disciple their kids. And this includes kids that are in high school, like it's never too late. We kind of started this when our one daughter was in high school and our other daughter was in college. And my husband just made an announcement one day, we're all going to start reading the Bible together for 30 minutes a day. Everybody show up at this time. And because of his leadership, it, it has, it has helped our family. It has made a difference for us. So. And Jeremy, just to, just to answer your question, number one, because you share my name and it's awesome. Um, (laughs) But, but I, I want to tell you that when we get to the conference, because there's so much to unpack, like you said, how do we motivate parents? And I think that one of the things we have to do is we have to make parents important again. And um, I think when we get to this conference, there is definitely a call for helping parents to see just how important they are in this discipleship process. And we really hit on these paradigms very, very uh strongly because it's important that we recognize what what is what's missing and understanding our role in those pieces of going forward and so i can honestly say there's too much to talk about right now and and really one of the sessions is totally focused on exactly what you're talking about and so i'm as a teaser for it but as an encouragement just because we don't have another hour and a half to go into it I really encourage everybody here to go to the conference because we really do answer that question substantively. So very good. Well, thank you, Jeremy, for hanging out with us tonight and just helping us think through our current reality, as well as how we can begin to make some of these mind shifts 
that are going to be needed if we're going to begin to chip away at these attrition rates um, to maybe develop some new approaches and new strategies, new ways to think. So looking forward to the conference and and, and continuing our friendship and partnership even more in the days and months to come. So thank you so much for for helping us uh, talk through these issues. Well, thanks for having me on. I, I've enjoyed every moment of yeah. it. So. All right. We'll see you soon. And I want to say thank you to everyone for joining in on the live stream tonight. And um, we hope you'll go check out the Discipleship Begins at Home conference. We hope, you know, like I said, that we've also helped you sort of uh, begin to understand the seriousness of where we are and some specifics for diagnosing the problem and also what it is going to really take to begin to develop some solutions. So thanks for hanging out with me. I'll see you back in a couple of weeks. I'm working on a, on a, a teaching right now on a new teaching uh, on justice. So Maybe that'll be in two weeks. We'll see how the Lord walks me through that. Or maybe it'll be on something else. But either way, I'll probably see you in about two weeks with a new teaching. Thanks so much for watching. Good night. Be sure to follow Theology Mom on Facebook and like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. Don't forget to catch Krista next week for more theology fun on Theology Mom and all the things. Thanks for listening.